Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome back to the Horenti Podcast for October 2016. This month, reproduction-triggered mortality in fruit flies and mapping the gene flow of Singaporean trees. Some say that the meaning of life is to procreate, to pass on your genes to the next generation. Now, that's obviously only one option, but a fitting one when you look at fruit flies. It's long been shown that the processes of ageing and mortality have been intimately linked with reproduction. But exactly how has not been known. Bernardo Lemos from the Harvard School of Public Health in the USA wanted to find out more about the genetics of this reproduction-induced mortality and how the phenomena varies across different fly populations. First off, here's Bernardo with some background. The reproduction and ageing are really very, very intimately associated in flies and in, in many, many organisms. Um, there's been many, many experiments, such as uh, selection experiments in which you select organisms to uh, leave uh, uh, shorter and then reproduction of course uh, starts evolving to occur a little bit uh, uh, at younger ages and, and vice versa so if you start selecting organisms to reproduce uh, young and younger they start dying uh, uh, younger and younger as well and if you start selecting organisms to live uh, lo- longer and longer they start reproducing uh, older and older so there's been always this um, trade-off uh, showing up on data for fruit flies, but also for uh, other organisms. And essentially that's because once these organisms are reproduced, then they've fulfilled one of their big sort of life goals, as it were, so that's when they're allowed to die. Yeah, that's absolutely correct, yes. So what happens is after reproduction, selection becomes very weak. You put it beautifully, they have fulfilled one of their lifelong goals. And so this relationship exists, and it's been seen for a while in flies, in Drosophila, these fruit flies, and you set out to try to work out a little bit more about the mechanics of how that might work as far as genes are concerned. Tell me what you did in your study. I mean, this relationship has been known, as you said, and what we did was to detect natural variability in that relationship. In other words, some genotypes were uh, more sensitive to reproduction than others. In other words, for one genotype, uh, reproduction meant an earlier death, and for other genotypes, reproduction didn't mean much of uh, an earlier death. Uh, it didn't seem as sensitive to uh, reproduction. And so tell me, how did you go about studying this? What did you do in your experiment? So what we did was, we did the genetic screen. We used close to 100 lines or strains of fruit flies, each strain being um, sort of genetically stable, and then what we did was we asked the question, what's the, what's the variance among those strains in, in reproduction-induced mortality? And, and once you know that, once you know that one particular strain is more sensitive and another strain is less sensitive or more resistant to, in this case, reproduction, we can then go about asking the question about what are the, the genetic determinants of that uh, resistance or 
sensitivity. So essentially you divide up these different strains with known genetics um, and then you find out which ones uh, are more sensitive to um, reproduction triggered mortality and which ones are less so and then you can search through their genes to find which genes might be associated with that particular trait. Perfect. So perhaps what I can do is to tell you about the other experiment which is the gene expression experiment which was you have a control fruit fly or a control uh, situation, and you compare that with a treatment. And the control is, in our case, flies or virgins, so males or virgins. And now you, con- you compare that those males with males that were recently mated. And the comparison is done for uh, uh, mRNA abundance. You take a, use a, uh, something called a microarray or RNA-seq by using sequencing technology. In our case, we use hybridization technology. We can ask the question, of all the genes in the genome of the fruit fly, what genes are going up and what genes are going down uh, once this, this fruit fly uh, reproduces? Uh, so that was the mechanic of that other experiment, which then got us to um, uh, more uh, some, some coherent sets of genes, um, some that had to do with reproduction, some that had to do with metabolism. And so after your studies, you have a sense of the kind of genotypes that are associated with higher sensitivity to reproduction-triggered mortality, and you have a sense of which families of genes might be upregulated or downregulated during the process of reproduction-triggered mortality. How, how has our understanding changed um, through the course of your study about how this process works? We now know some genotypes are resistant and some genotypes are uh, weak to reproduction, and we can think of ways to use them in the laboratory to sequence them deeper, to ask specific questions about them, uh, to try and understand what was uh, the event during reproduction that made them uh, uh, weak or resistant. That was Bernardo Lemos from the Harvard School of Public Health. Often known as the Garden City, Singapore is a country which is almost entirely urbanised. This has led to tree species being divided into small segments, pockets of fragmented habitats. Edward Webb from the National University of Singapore wanted to know how this was impacting the flow of genes between one particular tree species, Comparsia malacensis. I called Edward up to find out a bit more about the study, and, dedicated scientist that he is, he spoke to me from the maternity ward of a hospital just a few days after the delivery of his new baby boy, so you'll notice a bit of a hubbub in the background. Well, this is uh, Cumpasia malacensis. It's a fairly widespread uh, canopy tree species in Southeast Asia, um, and it is, at least in Singapore, and most places, I believe, in Southeast Asia, relegated to small primary patches of forest. How did you go about studying this tree in your particular study? The hypothesis that we were looking at uh, was whether um, gene flow uh, has been compromised by the fact that you have uh, trees that have been relegated to sort of isolated primary forest patches. In this particular study, what we did was we did something called parentage assignment, where much like um, with humans, you can assign an individual seedling to a pair of uh, trees, a mother and a father tree, if you will. So you can look at um, how far genes have been dispersed, either through pollen flow or through a seed dispersal from the mother tree. So tell me, how are these trees pollinated? In the case of Cumpasia, it is um, largely an obligate outcrosser, meaning um, 
pollen needs to move from one individual to another in order to fertilize uh, the flowers. So in this case, an <coughs> a bee of the genus Apis will visit um, the flowers of one tree and then fly to another one. Now, Apis dorsata is a colonial bee which that flies long distances. So it has already been shown that Apis dorsata can be a very important pollinator at the landscape level. Um, after the flowers pollinated, the seeds will develop. Uh, the fruits will develop and the seeds will be dispersed by wind. And typically, wind dispersal is uh, an order of magnitude less, at least in terms of how far those genes can go from the, uh, from the mother tree. So in the landscape of Singapore, the majority of pollen movement, uh, sorry, the majority of genetic movement or gene flow within the population is done through pollen movement rather than seed dispersal. And that's something that was backed up by your study? That's, that's correct. You know, there's been a heavy emphasis on seed dispersal, um, thinking that you know, uh, the rare event when a seed is moved a long distance is critical for that population, which is true. But in this case, uh, we see if you have a, a pollinator that moves long distances, you know, tens of kilometers on a regular basis, you can have, um, I think, even more important uh, and more important than higher levels of gene flow through pollen movement than through seed dispersal. And so what's the upshot of this? Does this mean that these trees are able to maintain healthy populations despite the fragmentation that you were discussing earlier? Right. Well, that's the, the, the bottom line question, right? Um, in the case of Cumpasia, our results only for Cumpasia suggest that even in a landscape that is heavily urbanized like Singapore, <clears throat> like Singapore, as long as you have populations or subpopulations that are within the sort of home range or the pollen, uh, sort of the uh, foraging range of pollinators, then you can maintain gene flow and maintain your genetic diversity and prevent genetic, ero what we call genetic erosion. This doesn't necessarily translate to all plants, of course. Are these sorts of distances, the, you know, the, the, the range of the pollinators or the range of the wind pollination in another species, for example, are they taken into account when things like management plans are, are developed or, or uh, development really plans or even, or uh, even in you know, a national park, for example, when trying to maintain uh, that landscape? Landscape planning doesn't take gene flow into account specifically when trying to determine or try to plan out where individuals are going to be conserved or where you may have things like reforestation and what species you might plant uh, to maintain genetic connectivity. However, there's an increasing number of studies looking at what we call landscape genetics and in the marine side, what we call seascape genetics, where you not only collect data on gene flow through uh, pollen movement or seed dispersal, but then you create mathematical models to try to calculate how much gene flow there is across uh, the landscape or the seascape, and in the future, uh, hopefully, this type of um, this type of biology will be integrated more uh, into the planning at the landscape level. That was Edward Webb from the National University of Singapore. And that's all from this episode of the Heredity Podcast. Tune in again next month, and thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 